it's kind of like an orchestra, you know, how our body works on the inside. You can have the conductor standing at the podium um, looking at the orchestra, but if the violins don't want to play, then the music isn't going to sound as good as it should. Hi folks, I'm Sadia Tariq and you're listening to Dhani, the podcast. On this show, I speak to medical practitioners, poets, authors, mindful experts, therapists, artists, corporate world influencers, fashion designers and humanists from all over the world, where they share their journey of well-being, personal growth, learnings and struggles, and knowledge-seeking. Delighted to have Dr. Marvin Singh um, on the show today. He is an integrative gastroenterologist based in California. Our conversation today is absolutely power-packed. Dr. Marvin talks about gut health and emotions, the ways we can keep our gut healthy in the absence of a precision medical practitioner, what are the different dynamics that play um, part in keeping us away from getting sick? He also talks about the benefits of keto and intermittent fasting and the disadvantages of these dietary solutions. Dr. Singh also touches upon our social media intake and how it is disruptive in our lives. And then towards the end, most importantly, talks about microdosing of caffeine and how that plays well with our mind and body. And how we can take this microdosing across the board whenever we're eating anything. Dr. Singh, thank you so much for being on Thani. I am truly humbled and grateful for your time. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. So there is um, so much to um, to ask. Um, however, uh, I will try and limit my questions and keep them um, sort of focused. You are um, an, an internal medicine specialist and a gastroenterologist. Um, I recently came across one of your articles uh, on Mind Body Green, and that's how I sort of looked up. And then I heard uh, one of your podcasts, one of your own podcasts as well. So, um, uh, my my first question is: since you are you are a gastroenterologist, how do we understand, um, or how will you help us understand the common man, the relationship between the gut and emotions? Well, that's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I have all the answers because I don't know if anybody has all the answers. Um, but uh, we are learning a lot about the gut uh, in the last you know, five, ten years and a lot about the mind-gut connection um, in recent times as well. Um, there's a microbiome that lives inside of our gastrointestinal tracts. And when I mean microbiome, I mean there's trillions of microorganisms, which could be bacteria, viruses, and even fungi that live in the gut microbiome um, as part of the ecosystem. And 
these little microbes um, can produce a lot of chemicals and signals that can communicate with many of the other cells in our body. Uh, particularly, um, it can uh, send uh, messages uh, up and down the vagus nerve uh, to the brain. And actually, the brain communicates with the gut as well. So it's bi-directional. It goes both ways. And um, this is a very fascinating connection where we now understand that um, our microbes can actually influence not only how we feel, but how we think, and even sensations of pain as well. So um, if we protect our microbiome by um, doing the right things in our lifestyle, eating the right proper kind of diet, then we can cultivate a better ecosystem inside and improve that signaling because 90 to 95% of our microbiome, um, uh, uh, excuse me, 90 to 95% of our serotonin in our body is produced uh, from the gut microbiome. So it's a very important uh, part of our body. So, um, so just sort of going back you, which means that the gut and the microbiome, as you said, they're responsible for our cognitive abilities for our because and if the travel the signals travel through the vagus nerve, which means the nervous system is also involved. Right. So there, there's a complete framework then. Yep. Um, and, you know, and it, it may not be one hundred percent the the only uh, method, but it does definitely play a large role. Um, the vagus nerve is a nerve that comes down from the brain and uh, connects with the digestive tract. And we feel that this is basically like the information superhighway where information is just continuously zipping up and down through this uh, information superhighway and communicating with our brain. Sir, in, um, in one of our recent um, exchanges of email, you had mentioned about um, well care and sick care. Please, would you like to shed some light on that? Yeah. So. Um, this is a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart because I see how powerful um, this can be. There are two kinds of physicians, uh, two kinds of doctors or healthcare practitioners. There's the kind that will help take care of you when you're sick and you have a problem. And we definitely need those, especially these days. A lot of us are sick and not doing well. Um, if you're in the hospital or you're in a car accident or whatever the reason may be, you're going to need those kind of uh, providers to help take care of you. Then there are um, a different kind of provider who says, okay, um, I understand what could happen, but my job is to prevent you from getting to that point in the first place. So, so, so basically there's the, the kind of provider that's like a firefighter, you know, running into the burning building to rescue you when you are sick, when you are in trouble. And then there's the other kind that says, I don't even want you to get into that burning building in the first place. I'm going to do everything that I can to help you optimize your health so that that building doesn't ever burn and you're never put in that situation. And that's the difference between sick care and well care. Sick care is the kind of provider that takes care of you when you're sick and well care is the provider that takes care of you um, to help prevent you from getting sick. And one of my favorite sayings is 
um, it's better to be on top of your health rather than underneath disease. And that, that's uh, kind of exactly what the difference is between sick care and well care. Um, okay, so you're saying that they're specialists for well care. But if one does not have access to such specialists, what are the, some of the foundations that we can sort of, as individuals, uh, lay down to ensure wellness? That's a good question too. So, I mean, when in my in my practice, um, I look at a lot of different things. I first talk to the person and find out, you know, what kind of lifestyle they're living. Um, it's important to look at these elements um, because these things can greatly influence our health, our genetic expression, and even the composition of our microbiome. So, things I'm talking about are what kind of foods you're eating. Are you exercising or moving enough? Are you reducing stress? Are you, you know, doing yoga or Tai Chi or meditation or breath work? Are you avoiding the toxins that we could be exposed to? Are you sleeping well enough? Are you having enough fun? Are you um, socially interconnected? Are you optimizing your relationships with people? Um, things like that. These are, and, and uh, you know, and, and also how much you're sleeping. So, these are some of the main uh, pillars of lifestyle medicine. And we often mm -hmm. say, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know I should sleep more. I know I should eat better and kind of um, push it to the side. But I don't know that a lot of people really fully understand how powerful, you know, these elements can be. So these are some of the basics. And then on top of that, I'll look specifically at somebody's microbiome. We'll look at their genetics. We'll look at food sensitivities. We'll look at mitochondrial health. We'll look at inflammatory markers, you know, uh, we can even sequence the whole genome, a lot of different things we can do to help personalize this because we are very different as individuals. You know, our microbiomes are only 10 to 20% similar um, and everybody has uh, a different uh, body inside. Everybody has a different environment that they live in. So um, it's important to take, take the information um, and personalize it as best as possible. So, you know, if you don't have access to a provider, um, then these are some of the things that you can look into, the lifestyle things you could easily do on your own. And a lot of the testing that could be done um, uh, to help you figure some of these things out to personalize it are uh, also um, available online, uh, at least uh, in the United States. Um, I'm not sure about the UK as much, but there are uh, probably direct-to-consumer type tests that you could do on your own or something that a provider might be able to easily order for you. So just purely due to lack of knowledge, if we were to sort of make um, a tree, a medicinal tree, where exactly does internal medicine come in? And where does, and what is also, moving on, uh, precision medicine uh, comes in? Well, um, uh, you know, I, th I think what we're getting at here is not just looking at the leaves on the tree, but where the tree came from in the first place. So looking at the roots. And this is what we talk about when we're looking at root cause. When you hear this term root cause get thrown out. Um, you know, we want to not only just know what's there, we want to know why it's there, where it came from. Um, and I think that's that's the importance of it. And that kind of hits along the lines of precision medicine. And the approach that I described um, uh, is basically precision medicine. It's looking at all the elements that can affect or impact health and 
and then looking how it impacts you and making a, a plan. So when people see me, for example, uh, we take a pretty lengthy history and um, we order a bunch of tests. And then I sit down when all the tests come back and I look at all of the information and I develop a, a personalized protocol for somebody. So I say, well, based on these based on these results, you know, this is how you should eat. This, these are the supplements or vitamins you might need to take. This is how you should exercise, you know, and these are the important other things that you need to do in your lifestyle to help optimize your health. So that's what precision medicine is. Um, internal medicine is, you know, basically a basic field of, of medicine. That's like, um, uh, I don't know exactly what you would call it in the UK, but you know, your GP or your primary care doctor or your generalist, um, that's basically, you know, like your, your regular doctor. Um, so, you know, my background is, uh, internal medicine first and then subspecialized in gastroenterology and then again, subspecialized in integrative medicine. So we have a fellowship program here. Um, uh, and, uh, you can take a board exam, uh, after you're done and become certified. So that's what I've done. The body knows everything. I tell everybody that the very best doctor that you could ever know is yourself, is your body. Your body carries a lot of information in there that may not be obvious. So, you know, part of my job is kind of to be a guide to help you find those information, those answers, that information. Right. I was just coming to that. So basically, you equip the patient to sort of identify things uh, themselves. But but having said that, how, so we, you know, if somebody has IBS, for instance, or there's an autoimmune, how mm-hmm. how do we identify if it is related to uh, our nutritional intake or our emotional intake or our social intake? Uh, is, is everything question. sort of sort of weaved yeah. in? It may be due to all of them. So that's, that's the fascinating part of it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, just like somebody wants to get to the bottom of their symptoms, like you're describing some of these situations, it's not so simple as to say, oh, well, all your problems are because you don't sleep enough. As you sleep, then you're cured. That doesn't work like that. The body doesn't work like that. All of these ingredients that we, you know, I just outlined and discussed, they're all important parts of the recipe. And you can't have a full recipe without all of it. And, you know, you might feel a lot better if you change your diet. You might feel a lot better if you exercise and you didn't exercise. You might feel a lot better if you start meditating, but you never meditated before. But that may not be the whole picture because a lot of times people will come and say, well, I'm trying to lose weight. And so I changed my diet and I exercised. But you know what? I can't lose the weight or I lost a little bit, but I, I, I can't get as far as I want to get. Why is that? And you find out that they're under a lot of stress and maybe they're not sleeping as much. And so these are some of the barriers. The body, it's kind of like, it's kind of like an orchestra, you know, how our body works on the inside. You can have the conductor standing at the podium um, looking at the orchestra, but if the violins don't want to play, then the music isn't going to sound as good as it should. So you just spoke about weight loss, and I it just occurred to me if you could briefly touch upon this. Uh, you know, there, there are all the time there are uh, certain uh, fads coming up, and again, as you're seeing, everybody, every microbiome sort of differs. So to generalize whether the keto would work for me or the intermittent would work for me, mm-hmm. what do you have to say about these two very popular 
um, dietary solutions that are going on around these days? Well, they all, they all have a role, uh, you know, um, in perhaps uh, many people, um, but it's very important to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then to figure out how long you may need to do it. Um, you know, there are concepts like intermittent fasting that may be generally good for most people. You know, there are some limitations that you should understand, um, you know, uh, that maybe certain people may not be the best candidates for. And the same thing for a ketogenic diet. Um, but um, in general, one of the themes that I uh, suggest is to choose a way of eating I don't even like the word diet. I usually say a way of eating or an eating style um, that's flexible and sustainable. So we want to be able yeah. to do this for the long haul because we're not planning on living for seven days during your seven day challenge or your 30 days during your 30 days challenge. You're planning on living beyond that. So if you go to an extreme diet for a period of time so that you can fit into the wedding dress that you have to get into, then, you know, you may accomplish your goal, but then what happens usually afterwards? You get it back. And then the next time you want to do it, it might be even harder because um, you've, you've basically put your body under a stress. And like we said before, the body remembers. So the body will remember that, hey, I lost a lot of weight really rapidly when uh, X, Y, Z happened. So next time we're not going to let that happen because the body looked at that perhaps as a negative, that something bad happened, like you, you got an illness or something. So we want to be able to do something that is flexible and sustainable. And often that comes uh, from a very personalized place. You know, uh, concepts like intermittent fasting have been used for ages and ages. And um, uh, they have health benefits. There's a great uh, amount of literature accumulating talking about um, the benefits of intermittent fasting. But ask yourself, are you going to be fasting forever or just a period of time or one day of the week? You know, there are different nuances to that. And, you know, the same thing uh, for a ketogenic diet. Uh, a ketogenic diet to me is a therapeutic diet. It's something that plays a role, but it may not be something that you want to do forever. Um, you know, there may be some upsides, there may be some downsides to it. Particularly, maybe, you know, if you have a neurologic condition, a seizure disorder, this is where it's highly studied, you know, in, in uh, a brain type situations um, where a ketogenic diet may be helpful. But if you're just somebody who is a regular average Joe and you're trying to lose some weight, the ketogenic diet may be one way to do that. But I don't know, you know, how, how is that going to be for you for 10 years or 20 years? Are you going to eat like that forever? The point is to keep an eye on your health, look at what your microbiome is doing, look at what some of the chemicals being produced in your body are doing. And if everything says, hey, this is great, hey, this is great, you're doing fantastic, then maybe you are doing fantastic. Maybe you would be on the ketogenic diet for a long time, mm -hmm. but maybe your cholesterol goes up too high. Maybe you start having other kinds of issues. Um, then, then you want to pay attention to that because everybody is different. You could be a cholesterol a hyper absorber. And so, you know, maybe maybe a ketogenic diet is the absolute worst thing for you, you know. So there are different things that you wouldn't know if you just followed somebody's blog or, you know, video that they made about it. I think that's the one thing that I like to emphasize that as humans, we, we look at 
what other people are doing. We look at their pictures on Instagram and we say, hey, this looks cool. This guy looks cool. Let's do that. Just because he's doing that and somebody that I know liked it, you know, that's not how science works. That's not how your body works. Maybe that situation would work for you, but find out if it does or not. That's the, that's the main thing. Mm. So before we move on to my favorite topic, which is about caffeine microdosing, since you spoke about the Instagram, what do you have to say about our health and our social media intake? <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, it's, it's good to probably limit how much you are on social media because Sometimes we get um, warped uh, in our thinking and uh, wrapped up in these imaginary uh, scenarios um, mm -hmm. and uh, it can influence how we feel and how we think. And um, especially if we like scrolling through our, you know, social media feed at night before we go to sleep, that blue light is, is not good for your, um, you know, sleep induction in the first place. So I think mm -hmm. it's good to limit that. Probably. We're all doing a little bit too much of that these days because most people are staying at home uh, due to COVID-19. But, um, uh, you know, I think everything uh, in moderation, just like I talk about uh, in diet, um, the dose makes the poison. I think that's the same thing that goes for social media as it does for foods and other kinds of lifestyle things that people do. Mm. So well said. Dr. Singh, just coming towards my last question, um, you recently wrote an article um, about caffeine, microdosing, and our health. So please explain to us what is microdosing in the first uh, place, and then um, how do we um, ingest caffeine in microdoses? Yeah, great question. I mean, this goes along the same lines as the dose makes the poison, what I just said uh, for the for the prior question. Everybody has um, a different set point um, or a different need internally. When you drink an average cup of coffee, um, which is one of my favorite beverages, coffee, tea, I mean, it's part of our culture really to, uh, as humans, to drink, you know, these kinds of beverages. Um, uh, when you drink an average cup of coffee, it contains around 100 milligrams of caffeine. And um, you you drink it and it's processed by the digestive tract and it may take about 45 minutes or so um, for you to get that effect. And the next time you drink a cup of coffee, think about that. Um, when, when that caffeine is absorbed, you know, that's when you get that little feeling of, uh, you know, a little bit of a buzz or you get a little bit of that stimulation from the caffeine. Um, and a lot of people like caffeine, coffee, different caffeine drinks, because it gives them that feeling. It's the pick me up in the morning. Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go to work. Let me have a cup of coffee. It makes you kind of feel good. It's a nice warm beverage. Maybe it helps get your uh, bowels moving. And maybe it's just a nice kick that you need to get your day started off. Um, and that's mm -hmm. fine. But what happens is that a lot of people feed that feeling just like um, when you drink alcohol. You know, if somebody gets addicted to alcohol, they they drink the alcohol and then they want more and they want more and then they end up needing more and they needing more and and then it becomes a problem. You know, with caffeine, 
you don't necessarily need that full 100 milligrams. If we're looking for that mind stimulation, we're looking for that pick-me-up, we're looking for that improved attention span, um, that improved cognition, um, there are some great benefits to caffeine. Um, there's nothing wrong with caffeine specifically. Um, it's the dose that makes a poison, like I said, right? So maybe for you, um, 50 milligrams is enough or 20 milligrams is enough. You know, um, so this is the concept of microdosing. It's it's important. Everybody's got their own set point. So I couldn't tell you what you or me or the next person is going to need. It's kind of a process of experimentation to see what you really need. Um, but uh, it's it's pretty inconvenient to take a cup of coffee and perhaps you know, uh, a sip of 10 milligrams worth of it over the course of 10 hours to get that low dose um, stimulation uh, that, that you desire. Um, so uh, there are certain uh, products that you could use to try to what we call microdose it. So you can um, take these to get that level of stimulation or benefit from the caffeine without going overboard. Because what happens when you drink too much coffee? right? You end up taking two cups of coffee. You basically took 200 milligrams of caffeine within a short period of time. And some people get their heart rate going fast. Some people feel jittery or nervous. Some people even get anxious. Um, your mood is definitely impacted, right? So um, uh, th these are the things we don't want. It's when you, when you take too much and you slam too much of that in your body too fast, then um, you can definitely see some of the downside um, to having caffeine or coffee. Um, but if you had a small amount of this caffeine over the period of the day, then you may be able to maintain that level of uh, stimulation or attention that you feel is good for you, that you need in order to... Um, uh, avoid these ups and downs. This is what we don't want. We don't want the ups and downs. We don't want the sharp peaks. You know, we don't want to go up and down. This is what we call, you know, the crashing from the caffeine. And the answer is not necessarily to drink a power mm -hmm. drink or to um, have another cup of coffee because all that does is perpetuate the problem. So um, this is the concept of caffeine microdosing. Right. It's taking just um, a lot of, a lot of athletes um, will do this as well um, before a workout um, to help. Um, with their performance, you know, and they don't necessarily need to have 100 milligrams of caffeine, which also has a downstream effects of dehydration and needing to urinate frequently as well, because it's a diuretic. Um, they may want mm -hmm. to microdose the caffeine mm -hmm. so that they can still get the impact that they need in order to get their goal accomplished without having any of the side effects of that. Right. So two questions here. When you said that we have an average cup of coffee, this we're talking about black coffee, is it? That's right. Yeah. And, th and that also brings up another good point. So um, a lot of people drink black coffee, but a lot of people don't drink black coffee, right? A lot of people will put cream and sugar as you go to your special coffee place that you like going to. Um, a lot of times they're putting uh, you know, syrups uh, in these caffeine drinks. And then, you know, you're doing that because you like it, because it tastes good, but at the same time, it gives you that caffeine feeling that you like to have as well. But what right. you're doing is just drinking a cup of diabetes, basically. You're, you're taking a large load of sugar in your body. Mm -hmm. So 
not only are you drinking too much caffeine, getting an extra shot of espresso in there, you know, sometimes like people do, you're also taking in way too much sugar. And um, when, uh, you know, we know the, the negative effects of sugar, you know, messes up your metabolism can, you know, be one of the uh, most uh, Im important things to consider when you're looking at inflammation or autoimmunity and heart disease and diabetes and fatty liver and you name it. And, and uh, basically every chronic disease, you know, we all talk about avoiding excess sugar. And, you know, you know, you may say, well, I need this sugar in this drink because that's what I, that's how I like it. That's, that's what I need sure. because I want the caffeine and that's how it tastes good to me. But there are different ways, you know, to number one, not take all that sugar and to help optimize your health in general, but also to avoid the uh, sharp peaks of uh, getting so much caffeine um, in a, in a period of time. If you microdose it, you know, especially uh, take a form of caffeine that is absorbed in your mouth, you get the amount of caffeine absorbed in a short period of time. We're talking about within minutes. So you don't mm. need to drink a whole cup of coffee with all that sugar and syrup and creamer inside in order to, get that, to get that feeling. You may need just a sure. small amount, a microdose of the caffeine um, without all of those negative strings attached, and you get that feeling very quickly. And then you can sustain that once you realize or learn, you know, how much is good for you. So a microdose would mean what an espresso shot, which is about 45 mils of liquid. Mm -hmm. Am I, uh, well, is that, is that a microdose or a cup full of black coffee is, you know, which is about 250 mils, would that be? Well, it depends on how much you drink uh, over what period of time. <laughs> you know, espresso doesn't taste good oh. uh, when it gets cold really as much. So, um, you know, if you if you took your espresso and you had, you know, uh, a little sip, uh, you know, every, you know, 10 minutes or so, then you may be microdosing it. But that's not the most convenient way of doing that either. So, um, you know, it, it, you could drink the coffee, you know, sometimes people do drink, you know, a couple sips of coffee over the period of hours and you do that naturally, uh, maybe because, you know, if you drink it too fast, you get tachycardia or you feel a little jittery. So essentially you are microdosing the caffeine when you drink the, the coffee in that manner. It's also important to understand that we all have genes that help metabolize caffeine. Some people may be a fast metabolizer and some people may be a slow metabolizer. For example, you know, this is part of the precision medicine and how all this all ties in together as well. I happen to be a slow metabolizer. So I knew always, um, without before I even did the genetic testing on myself, that, you know, if I were to have that third cup of coffee in the day, didn't matter when in the day it was, um, if even if it was later in the afternoon. I would get a headache, I would feel my heart would beat fast, and uh, mm. maybe even feel dizzy as a result of that. So I always stayed away from having that third cup of coffee, never really realized why until um, I did uh, the genetic test. And I found that I have, you know, one of these gene mutations that basically makes me a slow metabolizer, which means that the caffeine that I take into my body doesn't get processed super fast. 
um, it sticks around longer. Mm. So, you know, some people say, oh, I have a cup of coffee and it lasts me all day. That's what they're talking about. They may not know. They may be a slow metabolizer. Um, and so mm. this is also important um, to understand when you're looking at how you take caffeine in because um, if you are a slow metabolizer and you drink a lot of caffeine, this could be contributory to a lot of the symptoms you may potentially have and you may not really realize that it's the coffee or, or whatever caffeine source you're taking in that's actually causing it. Mm. So it's a, it's a quite a trial and error uh, practice uh, whereby you sort of determine when uh, the dose is safe and when it uh, becomes poison. Right. And I, I do this for foods. I do this for medication, supplements as well, um, because it's important, you know. Um, uh, for example, Brussels sprouts are one of my um, most favorite vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, Brussels sprouts are also FODMAP, right? Brussels sprouts are very good for you. There's a lot of health benefits to eating Brussels sprouts. Right. Um, but if I go overboard, or if anybody goes overboard, I could pretty much guarantee if you ate an entire plate, full, a heaping plate full of Brussels sprouts, you probably get bloated or have a stomach ache afterwards. Right. And right. so this is the concept of the dose makes the poison. You don't think, oh, I'm going to microdose my uh, Brussels sprouts by only having you know a handful of them. Um, uh, you don't think about that in your mind, but that's essentially what you're doing when you know that if you eat too much, you have a problem. So you pick the right dose for yourself. The same thing for a supplement, right? So, you know, if you, um, if you, I don't know, let's pick a, pick a, a general supplement. If you, colostrum is a very helpful, um, supplement for gut health and for leaky gut. Uh, I use liposomal colostrum often in my practice as well. But if you take too much of it, you could get constipated. That doesn't mean that the colostrum was bad for you. Sure. It just may mean that, you know, uh, you may need to modify your specific dosing in order to be optimal for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, perhaps perhaps the dose that makes you constipated is the dose that you like. And then you have to address that uh, that situation. But perhaps if you took half the amount to start with and you slowly ramped up to that, you microdosed it then you may not even have the problem in the first place. So this concept of microdosing is there, um, is inherent in what we do uh, in many different situations. I guess we just don't necessarily call it microdosing or think of it that way, but that's kind of what we're doing. The dose makes the poison. So we want to understand what is our best dose and how should we do something in order to be best for us, not how is this best for everybody? It's interesting to note and understand how certain things are good for everybody. But at the end of the day, we use that as a guide to help us make our own personalized decisions. And this is basically precision medicine. Wonderful. So you've completely um, tied down everything um, together and uh, given uh, us a lot to chew on and to sort of sit on it and microdose on it. Um, so thank you so much. Really appreciate <laughs> it. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me.